In this episode of the Business Storytelling Podcast, I'm joined by Amanda Saunders-Johnston, Advent Health Reputation Manager. We're talking about crisis communication and what you need to know to be successful. So after the last few episodes where we talked about content strategy, building your brand, uh, social media strategy, Today, we're talking about crisis communication. So it's, it's really the next step in us learning together. Uh, and I'm joined by Amanda Saunders-Johnston. Uh, she is the reputation manager at Advent Health in Orlando. Amanda, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. And I, you know, I was trying to make a case to fly down to Orlando to record this live. It's uh, <laughs> 13 degrees here in Iowa. And how warm is it there? Uh, right now it's 50. Sounds wonderful to me, but I'm sure it feels <laughs> cold to you, right? It is very cold, but you are welcome to come down whenever you'd like. You got it. I'm on my way. <laughs> so crisis communication, it feels like that's a term people are throwing around, you know, oh, this is a crisis, that's a crisis, but you, yes. as, you as the expert, what, t- give us the definition. What's, what does that mean? So it's interesting. We, you know, I'm glad that you asked because we actually have this conversation a lot. Um, so we like to, to bucket this under the greater definition of issues communication, because we have crisis as something that's immediate, huge, needs attention on a large scale and all of your stakeholders involved. And then you have disaster communication, which is usually a natural event, um, perhaps a building or a catastrophic failure. So you would have that. And then you would have um, just a generic business as usual problem. So in our world, that's a patient who may be uncomfortable or would like to have uh, some just a higher level of a patient experience. So we tend to look at them in three different categories in addition to the overall umbrella of crisis communication. And that helps us bucket out the severity of the issue we're really looking at. Very interesting. So let, let's kind of maybe break them down a little bit here. So the, the last one you mentioned was a patient who would like a better experience. Is mm-hmm. that are you referring to just a patient talking on Twitter, or or how does that usually play out? Yes. So we a big part of our program um, in reputation management, which involves for us the monitoring and responding of all patient comments online. What what is a foundation for us? boils down to how we can make an operational difference in a patient's experience. So if you're staying at one of our facilities and you tweet at us and you tell us that you have a bad experience or you're on Google or Facebook or, or pick a social platform of your choice, we will respond to you. And then we aren't just going to respond to you and tell you, you know, we're sorry to hear about this. This you know, stinks and not what we want to have happen to you. We will actually take that and make an actionable change based off of it in your immediate experience, but also in trends for the long term. So for us, that patient experience is integrated not only on social media, but also with our larger patient experience department as a whole. So you have Twitter, Facebook, Google, uh, Yelp, probably, I mean, others. Yes. How do you how do you monitor all these places? So we have a team of five uh, that's just for reputation management. And our role is to keep track of all mentions of the brand anywhere on social media or on the internet. So whether you're tagging us, just mentioning Advent Health in general in a tweet without a tag, or 
uh, you're tagging us with a review or a lack of a mention or something along those lines on Facebook or Google, we are going to see that and respond to it. So we have a set number of platforms that we actively monitor and then each of them receives a response. And so our policy is to respond to everything that comes in within a set number of uh, time, sorry, a set number of hours um, and to make sure that that's then passed on for action and immediate service recovery. And do you, and so I, we, we do talk on here quite often about uh, what software tools to use, right? And there's many, many different opinions. Uh, mm-hmm. Some some people like the Cadillac, some people like the... Right. The, you know, I mean, the, the cheapest way to yes. do anything. And how, I mean, that's kind of why I usually, usually fall. But how do, you, right. um, how do you monitor all those platforms? Do you go into the platforms by themselves or do you have a tool or what's the procedure? We do a bit of a hybrid. So right now we use Social Studio and that's how our social media team also publishes content. And then we use it from their Engage tab and their Analyze tab to monitor our topic profiles. So if you're a huge threat to us, say you've been a security threat or something along those lines, we might set up a topic profile around you uh, to keep an eye on the crisis in that case that you may be posing to us as an organization or to our physical buildings or entities. And then uh, we also do manual monitoring. So in that situation, we would visit your profiles uh, or engage with you personally um, if needed based on what our leadership says. And then we also have um, just the general preferences of our team. So some of them prefer to use Social Studio and some prefer to just go manual depending on what's quickest and uh, where we are really. If we're out to dinner, we're probably going to use the natural platform uh, as opposed to Social Studio depending on the severity of the issue. When we're out to dinner, that is probably the truest (laughs) statement for anybody in really anything anymore today, right? Social listening. Right. <laughs> when, <laughs> it never slows. Excuse me, honey, I need to uh, respond to this um, threat to the company. <laughs> My poor husband is the most understanding person I have ever seen. Um, <laughs> I think our biggest crisis happened that I've ever handled happened the week of my wedding. And he was so understanding and just was there to support and hold my hand. And he's an amazing person. This is not a plug about my husband, but yes, that is true life about crisis calm and life in this world. So at at the wedding, I mean, so were you like, how were you monitoring and responding, getting ready, (laughs) ready for the wedding or, or how does that look? So I was supposed to take, um, it's funny you ask, I was supposed to take Monday and Tuesday off. And actually, Christoph, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this, but this is uh, how we first met because um, I had, I was following you for my personal account and then you had tweeted, I was with a different company at the time, but you tweeted saying, you know, you're doing a good job. You've got this, um, you can do it. And I came back a couple months later from my personal account after we kind of come out of the fog and said, thank you so much. Those words meant a lot. And I, I saw that in our message history this week. And I was like, I remember that message. And it meant a lot during that time because you're, you're getting an onslaught of comments and it's really hard during a crisis, especially a terrorist act. It's really difficult to, um, it's really difficult to feel the love from other people when you feel like you're surrounded by such darkness. And so with, um, with your message in that week, what we did was I was supposed to take the week off and start planning for my wedding. Um, well, not planning, getting ready for the wedding and enjoying my family, but actually wound up working for an additional three days. And um, so it was worth it to serve my community. And I think for me, that's really what crisis communication comes down to. It's not just a role um, or a job. It's 
how I serve, <coughs> serve my community and offer them clarity in a time when they really need it. So there's the proof you can work in reputation management and still get married. Um, it does <laughs> happen. Um, yes. Evidence uh, exhibit number one. Thank you for uh, reminding me how we met. That's, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so what is the difference between, so what you describe, right? It, it is about yes. the reputation, 100%. Like, how do we respond to people? How do we know what they're saying? How do we, you know, how do we even pass it along? And of course, sometimes we hear companies um, or not companies, but they reply and some, uh, some people will say, this is a canned response, which I always right. find interesting because if somebody says something nice, I mean, there's only so many ways I can say thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Uh, or like, yes. yes, we heard you. We'll pass it along. I mean, like how many ways mm-hmm. can you say that? So do you have like, what's the mix? Do you have? Uh, copy and paste responses for certain things or is it always written new or what's the what what is your strategy we have both so one thing that we're restricted with in healthcare that other fields may not have is HIPAA and also how we can phrase things so if you're in a high litigation industry or you carry a high amount of risk you need to be careful in the way that you respond to posts because you don't want to say I'm sorry that happened because you've just confirmed that it occurred And so you need to say something along the lines of, you know, we're we're really sorry to hear that. We wish that hadn't happened or, or something along those lines. And um, so in writing these responses, the way that we do it is we have set responses for our team to use if they need a jumping off point or for some of our teams that work at the campuses and respond to their campuses, campus page, uh, they can use that specific response and not change it. And then other team members who may be more comfortable with conversations online or have a little bit more experience, they typically use a mix and match sort of structure. So they may come and say, Christoph, I am so sorry to hear about this. I would really like to bring this back to my team so that we can help. Improving is a really big uh, deal for us, you know, finer finer points if you're writing it online because you get to edit it. But um, they're going to take key messages that would normally stay static in other posts and make it customized to you. And so for us, that personalization is a really big deal. But like you said, because the key messages are the same, it does get repetitive. And we, and we have taken some feedback that it, it sounds canned, especially as you're dealing with a larger scale crisis. Um, mm-hmm. And you've written a statement and that statement is what you've <clears throat> deployed seven, eight, 50, 100 times. Um, you can only reword it so many times, but, <laughs> right. you know, and, you try. And, <laughs> and even if you do, people won't notice it, right? Because it's just right. a couple of words. Um, I actually, uh, as you might imagine, with my name, Christoph Trapp, that, you know, I mean, some um, North Americans, uh, that's a German name, right? Mm-hmm. Some North Americans struggle with that quite often. Like every time I check into a hotel, um, they will say, oh, um, did they cut off the ER on the screen? And I'm like, no, for the 29,000 uh. times. Um, <laughs> but when sometimes, and I don't use that name anywhere, right? It's not my name. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when companies respond to me on, on Twitter, for example, and mm-hmm. they say, they say um, Christopher, blah, 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 or Chris, that's even worse. That's just um, rude. But well, it is, but it also, I, I chuckle because I'm like, well, I know this is not canned. <laughs> well, that is true. That's proof. <laughs> you know, because they're not just replying to my uh, first name or whatever. Um, that is true. 
that's that is a good way to know at least you know I think when we're personalizing things we have to be very careful that we don't take liberties with other people's identity um you know to call you Chris is very very comfortable and maybe you allow your friends to do that but I I doubt you want your brand that you've just said, you know, my socks arrived with holes in them. I don't know if they'd want, you'd want them to say, Oh, Chris, we're so sorry about that. Let me send you a new pair. Right. No, I don't, I, I don't go by that anywhere. It's Christoph and that's, that's kind of what it is. Right. Um, so it's in, what is the, so when I, so I travel a lot for this year already, I got like 40,000 miles on, on the books. Oh my gosh. And um, you know, so when something happens, I, you know, I talk to American, right? Like if I got to mm-hmm. move on an earlier flight or whatever. And we're now at the point in our relationship, how interesting is that to say that, um, where we just go to directly to DM, right? I don't even, <laughs> I don't, I don't even talk to them publicly, right? I don't say. You are the most frequent of frequent flyers. Right. I don't say publicly, oh, American is screwing up again, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, I just message them and say, hey, this is the problem. I need help with it. And they'll fix it. Um, but when I, but it, that's very similar, right, to reputation management of what you discussed. But when I think of them, I think of that as customer service. So mm-hmm. where's the line, or maybe there is no line, what's the difference between reputation management and, and, and being customer focused? It depends, I think, on your organization structure and really how you have it set up, but it ultimately boils into one and the same. So for us, whether our patients are comfortable and happy and receiving the care that they should be receiving and the quality of care that they should be receiving, um, that for us feeds into our reputation and whether or not we take their concerns and we address them appropriately and immediately and, and correctly that enhances our reputation as an organization that (coughs) cares about our consumer and, our biggest focus right now, their whole person. And so uh, we don't like to let anything fall by the wayside in that, in that area. But for some companies, customer service is maybe a little bit more separate where that's an immediate response. And it's more of a, you know, there's a shipping error and we're going to fix that. Um, And we can do that in a customer service focus where the brand and the reputation is more established separate from an actual person and their, their entity and their experience. But I think in dealing with lives and human experience and motion and emotions, as much as we do, those things wind up being very much one in the same. And so for us, reputation is customer service, it's social media monitoring, it's protecting the brand, it's sometimes even as a little bit of physical security, it's messaging to make sure that our consumers are protected if there's something that comes up like a disaster and we want to make sure you know they're not drinking flood water or something like that. So um, it is reputation with a lot of little tiny arms under it that we, we use to help serve our consumers as best we possibly can. Yep, very interesting. All right, so that's one of the pillars. What was the, the second one? So one of the things that I would, oh, 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 issues communication. I'm sorry. So issues communication is that's when you've got uh, something that's a little bit more of a problem. So it's not, you know, it's not quite a crisis, but um, you need help. So that's what we just talked about. And then you've got disasters. And then so a disaster might be um, whether in your area, it's most likely going to be snow related in this time of year for us it's we're not going to get snow if there's snow in florida there's some sort of apocalyptic situation and everyone should evacuate so (laughs) if there's snow in florida i'm going and you should too so with that 
the way that we message uh, in a disaster is very different because our reputation isn't necessarily on the line, but the reputation that we're promoting is that of a caregiver of our community. And so instead of being concerned about patient experience or addressing a, a perception issue, we're using this opportunity to partner with our, our uh, emergency management and crisis team and our uh, content team and communications to make sure that we're telling our communities, you know, now is not the time to drink the flood water. You know, don't don't stand up on a hurricane or in a hurricane on a ladder with a chainsaw and try to cut the branches that you are afraid are going to fall on your house. So for us, that promotes in partnership with those other departments, the reputation of our brand as a caregiver. So that's typically some, so in, if I summarize that correctly, it's basically something that's happening in the community and that you're somehow related to because of what you do. Yes. So it's for other brands and industries, it may be a little bit different. So uh, let's say that a hurricane's coming in, um, insurance would likely cover it from the perspective of making sure that everything in your house has been documented and photographed mm-hmm. and um, appropriately, you know, fly on file so that if something happens to the house that you're protected, um, from a financial standpoint on our side, we're going to say, okay, here's what you need to know about, um, cooking without electricity so that you don't get salmonella and need to come to the hospital. Or, um, here's what you need to know about falling limbs and electrical issues so that you don't get electrocuted and wind up in our ED. So for us, it's a little bit, um, like taking those same topics and looking at it through the lens of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so for some brands, this is, I, I actually don't like this term, um, but this is also a scenario where some brands could uh, noose jack, right? They, yes. they see something happening and they go, oh, my, mm-hmm. uh, my hamburger could totally <laughs> solve the problem or whatever, yes. right? And then yes. they insert themselves. Uh, do you, what kind of, t- I mean, I'm actually a big fan of people of brands adding valuable information mm-hmm. to a news event or giving their perspective, uh, you know, uh, if it's valuable. But just to add a, another advertising message, I'm not a big fan of necessarily. Yes. Do you? I think, well, I think that's an, a really important clarification. If you're only getting involved because you're trying to promote yourself, that's not the topic for you and you shouldn't be involved. If you're trying to force it, if there's no benefit for the consumer, that's not for you. And from a reputation perspective, it's going to hurt you because our consumers are so smart these days. And especially as the younger generations, Gen Z and whatever after them come up that have been living in this digital world, they are so smart and can sniff out a lie from miles away and self-promotion. They're living in the world of influencers and Kim Kardashian, like they're over it and they don't want the Kim Kardashian of a brand. They want a brand that's genuinely invested in them. And so entering that conversation only for yourself or for a promotional reason, like you said, is not going to engender you to your consumers at all. So one of the rules that we said, if if you really can't use a topic or you have to force it to work for us, we let it go. So just to keep picking on the hamburger example for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, But if you have, so you could have a message, let's say you do have a snowstorm in Iowa or let's say a quarter of the town lost their power. Uh, you could say something like, you know, um, to help the community, we just made 100 hamburgers come on down or something. Uh, I mean, could you do yes. that or no? 
Yes. And what that's going to serve is that you've, you had power, you made it, you made, you went out of your way, you came in and you brought people food where they wouldn't be able to do it themselves and you provided safety for them. Um, the only way that I could see that at all going wrong uh, from a crisis standpoint is if, you know, you couldn't get through the snow or somebody came at you to say, you know, you asked your employees to come in and make food for other people. You took them away from your family, but that's, you know, from whenever you, you do something good on social, you always have to be ready for the bad and the negative. And so that's one part of it. Like if all of your employees are comfortable to come in and make those hamburgers, have that messaging ready. Or ask for volunteers, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, so that's actually a good reminder. So, so you, you know, even if you do something good, um, you will get negative <laughs> comments and always, you know, some of that is because people just don't read the message correctly. I mean, I see it all the time. I say something and, and somebody will respond. I was mm-hmm. like, that's not even close to what I said or meant. Right. <laughs> right. You kind of read it thinking, what mood were you in when you read my tweet? Cause that was not the mood I was in when I wrote it. <laughs> right. Um, and the other thing to remember too, Years ago, I did the, uh, I should do this again at some point, the mean tweets video, all the yes. mean things people have sent to me. <laughs> and re- really, and I, I do have a graphic still, somebody made a graphic of the tweets, which was kind of funny. It wasn't even me. And so, um, but what's interesting about it is when you get negative comments um, for a story that's actually a positive story, mm-hmm. it just means that you're reaching a lot of people. Because yes. the more people you reach, right, the, the more whack jobs you'll have in that group. <laughs> I mean, did I say that? <laughs> I think uh, one thing we talk about, too, here is that as we promote things, so if, you, if it's a facility or a practice that isn't typically promoting a piece on social and they choose to do that, whether it's Twitter or, or Facebook or wherever they do it, um, they're, they're putting their name into the feed of someone who may not have had a positive experience. So where, oh, yes. you know, we, we say that a lot, that, that that is just a reminder for someone who may not be in love with us, that they're going to come and deliver a little bit of hate. So we just come prepared for that. There's some people who can hate read everything, even yes. when it's the most, you know, we just saved somebody's life and they find a way to turn that. Yes. So just something to keep in mind. And, and how often do you respond to those people or do you respond to those people at all? If they have something of value to add to the conversation, we will always respond. If it's, um, I think we'll never forget the comment, um, I hate Advent Health and I won't take a dying worm there, um, which very, very explicit in your feelings. Um, so we, with those, um, we don't, we might respond and say, you know, we're very sorry in that case. Um, we would respond to say, I'm very sorry to hear about your experience. It sounds like you had a bad experience with us. How can we help with you? Um, or how can we help you to, you know, forward this on to the right team? Something along those lines. If it's something along the lines of, you know, I hate you, everything is terrible, um, and no information is given, and we ask for help, or we, or sorry, we ask for their feedback so that we can improve and help them, and then they continue to be unhelpful um, or don't allow us to help them, then we stop engaging at that point. A, a dying worm, like the little thing. Yes. The, um, I mean, you know, I would love to respond <laughs> with, well, th- thank you for letting us know our veterinary division isn't currently open anyways. <laughs> so that is probably one of the hardest things, right? Yes. When, when people say crazy things to, to not mm-hmm. reply in kind. 
Oh, yes. We've been called, I mean, we've been called leprechauns, dying worm comments. I mean, as you were saying that you, you made the mean tweets video, I was thinking maybe we should send that to all of our stakeholders as a Christmas gift. Like this would, I think all of our, yep. our leaders would really like that as, as a joke in some ways. But, um, you know, really for us, it comes from a place, honestly, from patients that everything when you come to a hospital is so fraught with emotion, whether you're there for yourself and it's a sense of fear for yourself or you're there for a loved one and it's, it's, it's fear for your loved one. We get the responses and, and for us sometimes, especially at the end of a long day and we're thinking, okay, you don't want to take a dying worm here. You want to punch us because we, we make you think of leprechauns. We get it. Um, but for us, we, we try very hard to look at it through the lens of what the patient's experience is and the fear and the empathy and having empathy for them because Mm -hmm. For us, that that negative feedback, like you said, that's very constant online, um, in our world, points to the fear and and the just general scary experience that is healthcare. Absolutely, and I, I mean it's true, right? You don't go to the hospital because you're going on vacation. Something something is yeah. happening. No, especially if you're on vacation and have to go to the hospital. I think we always feel the worst See, for those those commenters. For like, you came for Disney and you went to the hospital instead. That probably happens in Orlando more than it happens in Cedar Rapids. Um, So my only advice would be if you make a mean tweets video, I would really recommend like somebody reading the tweets. And, you know, it's (laughs) that was the most interesting thing. Like you try to keep a straight face and, you know, and somebody called you uh, a leprechaun or whatever. Nobody has (laughs) called me that, but um, other related things. Um, So then the third one was what was the third one again? The third pillar? That's the true crisis communication aspect. And that's when there's something that's occurred that either has been done to you or that you have done that you need to mitigate and you need to mitigate it quickly and in a big way. Um, With that, the mitigation is on such a large scale and there's usually some variety of media involved and it requires a, a basically what I would call a symphony of effort between you and, and your biggest stakeholders and team members, because that's not something that you can fix alone. So what's an example? Like what, like, and how would you work through that? So we differentiate between them uh, like a disaster versus crisis because of the nature of what we're dealing with. So a crisis might be just as a general thought, um, a ransomware attack so that we, we know that that's happening in hospitals nationwide. So let's say that um, we had a, a facility get uh, hacked and ransomware was involved. Um, for us, it would be a crisis because, you know, we've now got the Office of Civil Rights. We've got to notify. There's a lot of media attention that's going to be involved because we have that requirement to notify. We have a huge amount of social feedback that's going to come in addition to the privacy watchdogs that keep an eye on that. But in addition to that, we're now looking into where our team could have protected or should have protected in the event that we didn't. So one thing that I think is awesome about our organization is that we will own it if we've made a mistake and we'll say that. And I think I'm very proud to work for an organization that does that because if in the event of ransom where we were to have done that, and had a, had a gap in security, um, we would talk about what we were doing to make better. And so the messaging around crisis 
and those types of incidents is very different than you would need in a softer issue that you just needed to address versus a disaster where the content is really service. A crisis really boils down to what have you done? What are you doing to make it better? Do you have any ownership? And issuing a very genuine apology if you have ownership and then making sure that you follow up on those actions. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting too, because I mean, you certainly, I always lean on the side of you should respond some uh, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but you know, it's like you, you have more and more people coming at you, right? You have to talk to the media. Right. The media has, uh, I just looked at this the other day, like the local newspaper I used to work for uh, 80, they used to have 83,000 circulation. Now it's like 43,000, you know, 20 wow. years later. So, and wow. that's, that's not uncommon, right? In, in media, um, circulation is going down. Viewership is going down. I mean, even TV, I just heard that the other day. TV, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's um, changing quite a bit. The only reason they haven't lost any revenue, which is interesting to me, is because they jacked up the prices. So as more and more people are leaving, it just gets more and more expensive. Um, and for some reason, it has worked for them. It hasn't worked for media, for newspapers and, right. and magazines, but for TV... Um, and then also, when are some, so the, when do you actually not respond? So the one example outside of healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, and we don't have to rehash that whole incident again, but uh, the Peloton bike aviation gin commercial uh, thing, you know, that, that, we, that we talked about on the show. Um, Peloton, as far as I could tell, they chose not to respond at all. <laughs> you know that was yes <laughs> <laughs> and like so when and, and and i actually know why they didn't right and i mm-hmm. it's kind of like the whole uh the, the other example i actually blogged about over on authentic net was the uh, nike and colin kaepernick right mm-hmm. i mean they were just taken to task everywhere but seo for nike shot through the roof right uh sales shot through the roof so why do they care if the, some people don't like the ad um, right. So, so when do you not respond and when do you respond and how do you decide? That's a great question. And it's a challenge with every crisis that comes up. And so for us internally, we've been very lucky to work with, <clears throat> I think, very smart and brilliant people in their fields. And so we work as a team and thankfully our team doesn't make a unilateral decision about when we respond and when we don't. Um, Where we primarily focus in the event that there's a lot of conversation on social media, what we'll roll down to is if we've made the decision to respond, if they're tagging us, is our brand name, the references apart, then we respond. So um, if they were talking about like hacking at the practice, um, we would respond to that even if it didn't say admin health. If it were something larger that we were receiving media inquiry about, um, let's say, just picking something out of nowhere, um, maybe one of our executives decided to burn down a hospital for something, some reason. Um, and that is an outlandish example, which is why I picked it. But um, in that case, we would respond. Um, that was would respond but in the event that something had occurred that didn't warrant a response we would have the whole group probably together i'm thinking i'm trying to think we would definitely respond if someone set a hospital on fire so it's like why would we why was that example um so for that in particular we would we would really make a group decision and then g on social would fall in line with that so really it was it's interesting right because you're working through this example live 
Um, so you really, it's a discussion, right? Like you have to have a discussion quickly with people. <laughs> yes, you just got to see my thought process. How hard can it be to get everybody yes. together quickly? I mean, is that a problem? We have a task team. And so we have the ability to call them at a moment's notice and say this really big thing is bubbling up. We need decisions to be made. And that's in the event that we we needed an instantaneous decision made or we needed red tape cut through or anything along those lines. And it's been extremely helpful to be able to tap into those people. And how do you get them together? Like a quick Zoom or a phone call or how does it work? We typically use email. Um, and then once we've dialed into the problem itself, mm -hmm. we will circle back into um, a call. So we'll have talk to them uh, once a day, twice a day. Thank you to Amanda. Saunders Johnston for joining us and sharing her knowledge of crisis communication. Until next time.